This week has been a memorial week, of course, for those who uh, uh, passed away on 9-11, who died in 9-11 on terrorist attacks. It's quite a, a shocking thing to think about. Terrible things have happened in wars over the years, and we usually think of them as somewhere else or in some other country or maybe in a different generation. But the fact is, this came to our doorstep, and it's something that has affected lots of us. And it's amazing that probably everybody can remember where they were exactly when they heard about 9-11, when they saw the pictures of what happened. And the fact is, the hearts of men are sinful. And the fact is, it's easy to blame other people that are out of our country uh, or other, other t- uh, people types or races or other religions for their horror, their hatred, their sinfulness. When the fact is, we are all sinful in our hearts. And uh, we have to move on by, forget, by, by forgiving them. But we also must move on, <clears throat> but also re- must remember what has happened as well, especially for those who give their lives. There are people who stand between us and danger. When we're running from fires, there's someone running to fires. When we're running from someone who is uh, threatening us with a gun or something like that, well, some of you probably just pull out your own gun, but there are other people who are running towards that danger as well. And we are grateful for you if you're in those services. Is there anyone here who are in the first responder services, police, fire, um, ambulance services. Anyone else? Anyone? Anyone here? Anyone here? Well, can we just say a big thank you to every one of those who have given their time for us? You may have noticed that we have been talking about money this month. Has anyone noticed that? We, as a church, have never done a series on money. This is the first time we've ever done it. We've been a church for 30 years. It's our 30th year anniversary. We've never really talked about money. And we made a decision that we're going to build a new building. We've got a new vision for building a new building. We've got this amazing piece of property up of 429, 15 acres. It's really cool. We've just removed the trees. And uh, it may take longer than we expect or imagine to actually put that building there. But you need to know that the team meets at least once a week to do work together They're working hard on taking the steps forward to get that building for us and to to manifest that vision. But in the process of three years ago when we decided we're going to build a new building, we realized that we didn't have the provision to do it. We did know that God did have the provision. And for every vision, there must be provision. The word pro means for, something that provides for creating the vision and pulling heaven here on earth. And the more we talked about it, the more we looked at it, the more we realized that we don't actually talk about money that much. Now, it's not that we are trying to become the type of people who are asking for money all that much. It's not the type of church we want to be. We just don't want to be controlled or focused about money all the time. But the more I started to look at the statistics of what Jesus talked about in the New Testament, we discovered this, that the number one topic that Jesus talked about was money. More than half of the parables that he tells, the most more than half of the teachings and the stories that he tells are about money. Now, I have had the privilege of being brought up by by parents who really taught me well on how to handle money and how to look after it. But one of the things that I don't think that we've done well as a church is intentionally teach anyone that comes to our body how to handle money. It's easy for us to assume as as a pastoral team to think that everybody knows about this already and everyone understands how to handle money when the fact is probably about half or more than half of the prayer requests that even come into the church are usually about money. Money has quite a powerful control over us. 
And yet, it's not about having money, but it's about making sure that money doesn't have us, right? It's about making sure that money doesn't have us. When I look back on what my parents taught me and the stages that I went through to understand how to handle money, I realized that there were actually two stages that my parents taught me when it came to money. Two stages that I believe that every person should go through in order to have the right attitude and the right response when it comes to money. And the first one is this. It's the stage of dependence. The stage of dependence. Now, when you were growing up, how many of you actually used to get an allowance from your parents? How many of you got an allowance? Some of you got an allowance the others of you that didn't get an allowance, you're really bitter against your parents right now because you realize you could have and all your friends got them as well. I remember getting an allowance and maybe when you were young, you don't necessarily give a whole allowance to a child because you know they're just going to lose that money, right? They're going to drop it somewhere because it's just pieces of paper and pieces of metal. But when they're really small, you give them 25 cents to put in a bubble a ball gum machine or whatever it's called, you know, or, or go up to the, the candy store and they'll, they'll exchange their money, right? That, you're, you're, we're giving them the first insight of how to actually do an exchange of money. Then maybe when they get older, <clears throat> you start giving them a dollar a week or five dollars and they can do what they want with it. <clears throat> it's their money. In fact, I got to the age when I was about 12 years old or something and my mom said, I'm, t- I, I'm fed up of giving you money every week. I'm just going to give you money per month, right? So I'm going to give you 50 pounds for the whole month and then whatever you do with it, it's up to you. And so we get 50 pounds for the whole month. And, and you know, I, I don't know what you were like, but some people are like, if you get 50 pounds on the first day, it's gone by the end of the day, right? Maybe you bought some glittering, awesome pair of shoes, but you just feel the joy of those glittering shoes for the rest of the month. And darn it, it was worth it. Some of you maybe are, you like to apportion it out for the, for the whole week and I'll, put, you know, I'll spend $10 this week, $10 that week, but at the end of the month, I'll actually have $10 over because I've only spent $40 and, and, and you start calculating that way. Or some of you are maybe the type of people who like to live off of your friends and don't mind eating their food and their candy and you're going to keep every penny that's been given to you and at the end of the month, you still got 50 pounds. Who's with me? Yeah. Yeah, that's not true. You spend your money. I know that. Everyone's got a different way of looking after their money, but the reason why our parents give us an allowance is so that, is so that you don't have to keep asking and you can just look after your own money and, and that we're kind of learning how to handle money for ourselves. But there was another part that, that really our parents gave us, and that was the, the, the principle of learning about chores, right? Chores is something that every child should do in the household. Does anyone get chores? Some of your husbands, you've already got your hands up. Your wife's giving you chores as well. Uh, we got chores when we actually grew up. I had a chore of washing the dishes and had the chores of, in fact, I, when I became a teenager, my mother decided to give us all a chore where we all had to make dinner uh, on one night of the week, and mine was a Friday night, so I actually had to make dinner. I'm sure my father, my, my, my family actually groaned when uh, uh, they heard that I was clean, well, I was making food, but, but another chore that I had was I had to walk a dog. Another chore was you have to look after your own bedroom. You've got to make your own bed. You have the chore of having to brush your own teeth, right? Your, your parents are not going to brush your teeth anymore. You have to have the chore of wiping your own bottom, right? Because your parents don't want to keep doing that. Everybody's got a chore and a responsibility to do and handle their own business and their own life that's a part of being a productive member of the family it's when we learn how to have responsibility how to bring a productive contribution to the family however if you didn't perform that chore you would have a consequence in your life am I right 
And for the consequence that your allowance would be removed, your Xbox would be removed, Kale Brunton, the, uh, the other games would be removed, there'd be other privileges in life would be removed from you, right? If you don't do your chores. That's a part normal of life. But sometimes what's happening, and, and, and this is something that I learned, and something that I do with my children, and, and please understand, I'm not trying to tell you this is what you should do with your children, but this is what I firmly believe. I believe that you shouldn't pay your children to do chores. Why? Yeah, I had one amen. You're with me. That's good. Why? Because doing a chore is you being a productive member of the family. You're not the master, little child, and I'm not your slave or your servant here. I'm the dad, and I will do my part. You're the child. You do your part, right? That's the way it goes. Pull your weight as a child. I don't want to brush your teeth anymore. Brush your own teeth. That's the way it goes. Every child is meant to do their own chores. And it's very important that a productive family should grow by everyone pitching in. Because the family that sweats together sticks together, right? <laughs> I remember when, uh, when I was uh, maybe about 12 years old or something, my dad was going off to a meeting. And, uh, and he said, uh, I'm going off to a meeting. Make sure you get the dishes done. Uh, and I'll be back later on. So... He came back at nine o'clock and for some reason, I either completely forgot about doing the dishes or I wasn't listening. Either way, it got to the same end result. I was already in my bed, snoring, uh, getting my Z's for the night and I was snoring away. My father opened up the door, flicked the light on and said, get out of bed now. And I'm like, Ugh! and I woke up and he said, get downstairs and wash the dishes I already told you to do. Why am I having to get up and tell you this again? I remember getting down and fumbling down, going downstairs and having to wash the dishes and get them done, dry them, then put them away and then stumbling back up to my bed, being tired and I was just wide awake. I was wired because I was in trouble with my father. The fact is, there's an expectation that is meant to be put on every child that they do their part in the household and all God's parents in this house said, Amen. <laughs> Right? Every child is meant to do their part and there's a consequence for not doing your part. It doesn't mean that you're being paid to do your chores, but your allowance can be removed because you didn't do your chores. Hello? There's a difference here. And it's important that we understand this. What I'm describing is this whole thing of a dependency on our parents, a dependency in childhood. Your parents are your source. And the two reasons why they are your source is, number one, they're your source because they are responsible for you. It's their job to have to feed you, to look after you, to educate you, to make sure that you're safe. That's their responsibility. But it's not their responsibility to have to give you your favorite foods. It's not their responsibility to have to give you an allowance. It's not their responsibility to have to give you an Xbox, to give you a car, to give all the stuff that you really like having in your life. Their responsibility is just to look after you. But the second reason why they are a source for you is because you're valuable. And value is something that's very important. Parents are meant to love their children. And parents that didn't look after their children well didn't value their children. And it's important that children understand that their parents love them because they're valuable. Your parents are responsible and the children are valuable. Excuse me. And it's from parents <clears throat> that we learn how to trust God. And sometimes I think one of the biggest problems that we struggle with in our faith with God is because of the dysfunctional habits that we learn from our parents. And Paul was writing to the Philippians in verse Chapter 4, verse 19, he says, And my God, 
my father, your father, our father, will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God will provide everything you need because he's a good father. I think sometimes the difficulty that we have is that maybe you actually grew up in a household where you you maybe had a present father or a present mother in your life, but there was always a worry in the household when it came to money. And maybe that spilled over onto you. Maybe you worried about money. Maybe money was a tension in your household where your parents would argue about it or they would tell you, no, no, we don't have enough money. No, we just can't. Oh, no, it's too difficult. You could feel the tension from your parents. And so therefore, it's now in you as well. You have this overdeveloped sense of responsibility of having to make sure that everything is good and everything's perfect and everything's okay. Maybe you didn't have your father around to provide for you. Maybe he left and he wasn't there for you, providing for you, providing safety, providing security, providing income, providing a place and abode for you to be safe in. And if you had to take on that fear in your heart as a child, then it affects the way that you walk with God as a father. Or maybe you had a good father and you had a good mother in your life, but you still had this overdeveloped sense of responsibility that you have to be in charge of things and you have to worry about money. If that happened in your childhood, you're going to have to go through a process of just forgiving your parents and moving on from it. Because this lack of dependency on God has to be broken in your life. You will never get to a place of truly being free with the father if you're still having issues of trust, if you're still having issues of having to control things in your life because you just can't fully trust your father. If you didn't fully trust your father when you are a child, you can't fully trust your father as an adult. It's very difficult to do. But this, listen church, this is something that we have to deal with in our lives if we want to become the type of child of God that we want to become. If we want to have the type of relationship God with God that we really dream and desire to have. Here's the second stage that I believe that everyone has to go through. The first one, of course, is dependency. We have to learn a dependency on God through our parents. But the other one is we have to learn the exchange of services. The exchange of services. The exchange of service is when you do a job and then you earn something from it, right? When you have an exchange of service. When I was growing up, I, I, I remember my parents used to <clears throat> have me cut the logs at home. Uh, we used to have a log fire, and that's how we used to heat our house for the winter. And so my job was, if you want, can you cut the logs? It wasn't my chore. It was my job. It was an opportunity. And I said, here's all the logs. My mother said, if you cut all the logs, I'll pay you a penny a log. <clears throat> so I remember, and when I say not with chainsaws, right, because I was just 10 years old. So I had a Bushman saws, they used to call it, and I used to cut this, this wood on, the, on the, the, the wood horse. And I cut the wood, and there were big chunky pieces of wood. And I would get home after school, and I'd be cutting this wood all day just to make a penny a log. And I remember looking at the pile going, I've only made 20 pence. So I went into my mom, and I said, Mom, can I earn more per log? It's just so much. She's like, okay, you can earn two pence a log. And I'm like, What? Why didn't you give me two pence in the first place? I was working like a, like a dog here, just the dog's work. Anyway, but I was working like a dog here, sweating like a pig, whatever uh, phrase I'm looking for. But for this penny a log that wasn't paying me very much, so I had to go in and negotiate, and apparently my mother was underselling me. And, uh, and, and so anyway, I, I doubled my amount, and then I walked out going, what if I'd asked for three pence a log? But anyway, I stuck with two pence a log, and I worked at it. What she was teaching me was an exchange of services. 
And maybe some of you, you have, uh, you know, you've maybe gotten a car and your parents said, okay, you're going to pay for your insurance, you're going to pay for your gas. That's normal behavior because you're learning to take on your own responsibilities. If you want something more than what your parents are meant to provide for you, you've got to learn the exchange of services. And it's important that your parents teach you that skill. When I was 18 years old, I remember the last day of school. Last day of school, and I was so excited to be finished with school. I was, I was sick of school. I hated school. I didn't enjoy school whatsoever. And I remember leaving school for the last day. It, feel, it felt like the, the sun was shining and the birds were tweeting. And, and Alice Cooper must have been playing in my head somewhere saying, School is out forever! And I felt that joy. Can you feel that amen right there from my brother on the front? Who's, who's with me? Who hates school? <laughs> All the teachers are like, what? No, don't say that. But it was something I just, I didn't enjoy. I went to quite a rough school and a violent school and I just didn't enjoy it. And I was so glad to leave school and I just remember feeling the relief. And that night I went to bed and I thought, I am a free man. Until I came down the next day down the stairs and I was walking past my mother's room and she had a little office in there. And she said, Peter, can you come in here? So I went in there and she said, okay, today I want you to go look for a job because you're going to pay rent now. And the bottom of my world fell out. School was over forever, and I was falling through that hole. Suddenly, adulthood struck me like a ton of bricks, and I didn't want to go get a job. I remember getting my job, and I was there for two years, and I was a silver service waiter, and I hated that job because I was, I was working at night, and when all my friends were not working and, and I couldn't do all the fun things I wanted to do. But this is what happens. I'm describing an exchange of services where you work, you get money and you pay your way. In your childhood, your parents are meant to demonstrate the, the, the principle of earning, the principle of exchanging things. Why? Because you are now responsible for you. Am I right? You are now responsible from you. And from your parents, you're meant to learn about adding value, right? Not just about, I'll do this job and I'll get money. It can't be just about you. It's about adding value. I remember someone years ago, um, a, a, young, a young lady who had finished a, a graphics uh, college and I had a graphic design uh, business and she had called me up and said, you know, how much should I expect to earn once I leave college? And I said, zero, because you've not brought any value to anybody yet. You need to bring value to a business before they'll decide, yep, you can bring value to me. I will pay you for this job. You see, in business, you get paid for the value that you add, not the value that you are. See, in your childhood, your parents look after you because of the value that you are. You are valuable. You have value, and they have a responsibility to look after you. But once you become a fully-fledged adult, it's not about how valuable you are. It's about the value that you add. And so therefore, we are dependent on our parents to teach us this principle that Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians when he was writing to them. And he says, when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, it doesn't say unable to work if someone's not physically capable of working. The Bible even tells us that we are to look after widows and orphans. If we are to look after widows and orphans or someone's not capable of working, then we provide charitable means to look after our community. That's normal community behavior. But someone who shall not work shall not eat. When we become an adult, it demands that we have to pay our way. 
The problem, I think, sometimes comes when we didn't see our own parents properly pay their way. And so, therefore, we pick up their habits. Maybe your parents weren't as a hard worker as much as you thought they, were, they should have been. Maybe they didn't give their best. Maybe they went from job to job to job and they couldn't hold down a job. Maybe you came from parents that were the type of parents that didn't believe that they were worth a lot of money and they worked their butt off and they never expected to make that much more money. And so you're wrestling with your own value in life. You don't know how to add value to a business because you don't know what your own value is either. Maybe it was such that you saw with your parents that when they worked, they actually did money under the table. And I believe that when you do money under the table, you only bring an accusation against yourself. You bring a curse against you in your own life. Why? Because Jesus said, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, which is taxes. He said, should we pay taxes? And he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give the government the taxes that they are owed. Now, you could say, yeah, but they just take too much money. Well, then fine. Go find a good accountant to figure out how to stop them from taking good much money, Right? I'm not saying that we should just give them all the money, but if you're cheating on your taxes and you're doing things under the table, there's a, there's a, there's a story where, where, where Jesus came to Peter and he said, Peter, the devil is asked to sift you, but I prayed for you. What does that mean? He's saying the devil has something on you. And the fact is when the enemy, when the devil has something on you, he goes before God and he says, that sin that is in that person belongs to me. I wish to manipulate that and control that. And God has to go, you're right, because that sin doesn't belong to me belongs to you and if there is sin if there is brokenness if there is a principle that you're living by that is not God's way then you will reap what you actually sow this is an important principle to understand that there is maybe not a protection of God in your life there's not a blessing over you because you're not living according to the way that you are blameless are you following me so far to sum up this is to take dependency and to, to take exchange of services are the two principles we should have learned from our parents in order to have a healthy culture when it comes to our own money. Now in the kingdom of God, I believe those two things must come together. Outside of the kingdom of God, you don't have to have a dependency on anyone, you think. I don't have to be dependent on anyone. I don't, depend, I don't have to, to answer to anyone. The only person I have to answer to is my boss as long as I do my job. But I'm doing an exchange of services. There doesn't have to be a dependency whatsoever. But in the kingdom of God, the only way that the wealth of God comes into our lives is when we combine that dependency on him and that exchange of services too. It makes a healthy relationship with our father. How does God combine those two principles? Let me tell you how I believe that he combines these two principles. He combines the two ways of dependency and exchange of services through the power of the principle of tithing. What is tithing? Well, tithing is something that is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in the New Testament as well. And the Old Testament, the way it used to be, is God used to tell the people of God, I want you to give me 10%, the first 10% of your crops into the house of God, into the temple, into the storehouse is what they used to call it. And so it was expected that 10% was given in. And in fact, I won't go into too much detail, but there used to actually be three different tenths, which was a tenth, and then there was tenth of 19, and then tenth of 18. It turned out to be about 28%, but let's not get into details. Okay, let's just stick with the tenth. Because the tithe literally means tenth or ten percent. And this was what was expected from the people of God. Now, I had the privilege that my parents taught me this very well. 
In the New Testament, it doesn't explicitly talk about the tenth. Jesus actually refers to it in, in Matthew chapter 23, and he doesn't pull it down. He actually he upholds it. But no one actually put a lot of emphasis in the New Testament about tenth. Why? Because the New Testament moved into a whole new dimension, a whole new world where it talked about generosity for everything that was in your life. To actually be a giving person with everything that was in your life. I still do tithing, even though it sounds like it's an Old Testament thing. Why? Because I believe it's still a principle. And I believe that God doesn't let go of his principles. It's not a law. It's a principle. And it works. In the same way that if I take an apple seed and I put it in the ground, the principle of the information and the way that God has designed things that is in that apple seed will produce me an apple tree, not an orange tree, not a pear tree, not a plum tree, not a carrot, nothing else. It will always produce me an apple tree. Why? Because the principle, the ways of God, the DNA has already been put into that apple seed. And I believe this principle combines that dependency and that exchange with God. It's the same way that if I decide to go sleep around outside of marriage, I will lose my marriage. That's a principle, right? You know that. I know that. There's certain laws that if you violate them or a few principles, if you violate them, you might get away with it for so long, but eventually that curse will come to your doorway as well. I want to read a scripture now. This is the main chunk of scripture we're going to get to. And it's a scripture that is a conversation between God and his people. And it's quite a pertinent scripture, very interesting scripture. I'm going to just describe little words as they come up through this scripture. But he's basically talking to them about tithing and how tithing or the 10% principle is having a massive effect on the people of God. And he wants to have a conversation as a dad with his child. We're going to be reading from Malachi chapter 3. Starting at verse 6 through to 12, it says this, I, the Lord, do not change. What does that mean? He says, my principles are always. Just because it's New Testament, because it's Old Testament, I'm still the same God. I still operate in this way. I don't change. I still believe that this is the way it should be, he's saying. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. The descendants of Jacob were the people of God. That was another name that we gave to the people of God. And he said this, even before I'm about to tell you what you haven't been doing, I want you to know I've been dependable. You're not destroyed. Things have not fallen away. You're not broken. You're not dashed. I'm still dependable because I'm still providing for you. Verse 7, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, my principles, and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. What is that? That's an exchange. An exchange is going on. He's saying, do you want all the stuff that I've got? If you want it, you can get it. I'll give it to you. But you're going to have to return to the ways that I want you to return to. And I'll return to you as well. Very simple. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Reading on. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, says God. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And here's God's answer. He says, in tithes, and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, your whole family, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Storehouse basically just means temple or God's place, God's house. That's what we call a church now. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says this, test me in this. There's no other scripture that I've ever come across that God says, test me in this. Why does he say, test me? 
I think he says, test me, because he's saying, I want to show that I'm a really good dad. I want to show how much I'm, a, I'm your father. I want to give you all this stuff. I want to give your Xbox back. I want to give you this toy back. I want to give you money, but I want to give you all this extra allowance that's for you. But you haven't been doing what I've asked you to do. You've not done your chores. Your chores are not what you're getting paid for, but your chores are the key to the wealth of all the other things that you could have in your life. And I believe he's saying, test me in this. See if it works or not. I love that because he's not the type of father that says, listen, if you work long enough and hard enough, I'll maybe think about giving this to you. No, no, he's going, test me in this. Why? Because he goes on, he says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Throw them open. Not just crack it open, but throw it open. The floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. What does that mean? It basically means I will give you so much, you're gonna have to be a generous person. You're gonna have to give away a lot of the stuff that I give you because you're not gonna be able to hold it all. There's just going to be so much and he goes on. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like indictments. That sounds like debts. That sounds like alimony. It's basically something that is stealing money from you even before you've done anything with it. Even before you've deposited it in your bank account. Even before you've fed your own children, you paid your own bills, you've lost money. That's the devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit. What does it say? Before it is ripe. Ripening is all about timing. You can't eat something before it's ripe, but it just won't work. It won't be flavorsome. It won't be wholesome. You have to wait until it's ripe. There's a right time. And I believe that speaks of, I believe some of us that probably have experienced that, you know, the, the times when you've lost money and you're losing money here and there and you're like, what, what is going on? I don't understand. Why, why is this money leaving us? What is going on in our lives? And we're struggling. We're trying to determine where is our money going? I mean, it's leaving us before we've made a decision. It's leaving us before we've decided it's ready. It's leaving us before it's even available to us. We can't consume it. And it's not available to us. It's not ripe yet. It's just leaving us. And he goes on, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I believe that sometimes, I believe, and this is, this is what I believe. This is the reason why I tithe. I tithe because I believe the 10% doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. So therefore, if I keep it, I'm losing it. Why am I losing it? Because I have no power or authority over it whatsoever. It doesn't belong to me. Someone else has a power and authority over it. So therefore, it's gonna slip from me. I believe it's true as well for some of the rest of the money that we probably should be generous with that doesn't actually belong to us. It's been entrusted to us in order to be generous with other people, but it's still slipping away from us because it doesn't belong to us. <clears throat> then all the nations will call you blessed. What an amazing sentence. It doesn't say your wife, your husband, or your spouse will call you blessed. It doesn't say your children. It doesn't say the mayor. It doesn't say your neighbor. It says nations will call you blessed. This is the type of power and effect that Jesus, sorry, that, that, that the Lord in the Old Testament is talking about, where he's saying that you will receive an influence and a power in your life because you follow my principles. Now, I've been privileged. I've been privileged because this isn't an issue for me. Tithing's not a problem. I've been doing it since I was a child because my parents taught me how to do it. 
It's not something I wrestle with. It's not something I struggle with. It's not something I even second guess or I worry about with God that is he going to look after us? He's not going to look after me. There are times when we go through difficult times, Crystal and I, just this, this past month we even had this huge bill come in. We're like, where did this come? How is this? I can't believe this. And we start to worry. We start to worry and think about why is this happening? Why is this come against us? Why are we losing so much money? And then we decided, well, let's go out for a walk. Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. We went out for a walk and I'm like, have we done something wrong for Father, have we done something wrong? If we have done something wrong, correct us so that we can get back on track. Correct us so that we can get back into proper relationship with you. Get, correct us so that we can follow the correct principles. But we didn't hear anything from God. A few days later, Crystal said, I think there's something important going on here. I feel like God showed me something important and it's this. He's showing us that we are still to be dependent on him regardless of what happens. That even if it doesn't work out and it falls apart, he's just looking to show us that he's still in charge and we can be dependent on him. And I believe sometimes we need to be reminded of that. He doesn't say he's going to protect us from bad times and, and we'll only have hunky-dory flowers and, 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 and butterflies will be flapping around us all the time and birds will be tweeting and everything will be perfect. No, he says difficult times will come your way, but I'm still going to be with you because I'm your dad. I will walk through I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I will be there with you, but you're still going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Hello? This is not something that I even want from you. This is something that I want for you. Tithing is not something that I need you to do. Can I tell you why I don't need your tithe? Because I already tithe. My dependency is already on God. I'm already secure that I know God's going to look after me. So I'm not trying to make a pitch that you'll start giving your tithe here. It's something I don't want from you. It's something I want for you. And even if you decide not to, that this isn't your church, that you'd rather go somewhere else and tithe somewhere else, that's great with me. I'm really happy with that. I'm really happy that you would tithe somewhere else because I want the people of God to grasp and take hold of the greater joy that comes with having a relationship of full trust and our Father in heaven. You see, that's the payoff. That's the fruit, I believe, that comes with tithing. It's a dependency on God where we feel this joy of depending on a Father and reminding us that He's still in charge. But it's also a joy that sees a fruitfulness that is released into our life because an exchange of trust has been happening. And in the same way as my mother told me at 18 years old, I had to go get a job. We have to be responsible for making money for ourselves, but we still have to pay into the household. Because my mother didn't tell me just to get, to get a job for the sake of getting a job. She told me to get a job because I was going to start paying rent. Tithe is not rent. In the same way that your privileges as a child are not earned because you work hard but our privileges are removed, our blessings are removed when we're not a productive member of the family. I want us to become the type of Christians that are productive members of this family. Hello. And those of you that tithe, you already know the joy of this. For those of you that don't tithe, here's my promise to you. I will never put pressure on you to become something that you don't choose to be. I will never put pressure on you. I will never encourage you to do something that you don't choose to be because it's your will, it's your choice, it's your relationship with the Father. But I will promise you this, that I will choose to lead by example. 
I will be the example by doing it myself and then telling children, as a pastor is meant to do with his sheep, telling you guys, this is how you're going to do it if you want to get the blessing from God. I firmly believe that. And I ask for your forgiveness, just as Pastor Mark talked to about his forgiveness, asking for forgiveness last week. I'm asking for forgiveness this week too, that I have not spoken about this enough to teach you in the ways of the principle of giving and receiving and blessing and sowing and tithing and reaping. All these things bring joy to our lives. Is this something you think you're ready for? Because I want us to discover this to a new level like we've never seen before. If you start tithing, you're not just going to find joy in your own life. You will find you'll bring joy to other people's lives too. Can I tell you how? Because all the other people who already tithe here regularly will feel joyful that you've joined them too. Because we want to see great things done through this church. We want to see great things built that we can hand on to our children so they can do greater things than we've ever done. Just as we're meant to do greater things than Christ's ever done. So as we're ending our service today, let me bless you today as we stand and we, and we complete our service here. Here's the questions for small group this week. Father, we want to ask for your forgiveness if we have not trusted you. We want to ask, Lord, for your forgiveness if we've not gotten to the revelation of just being dependent on you. And Lord, we know that it may be not our fault, the behaviors that we've inherited. It was something that we learned from our parents, but now it's our problem. It's not our fault, but it's our problem. It's our responsibility. And we want to now move forward with this responsibility of trusting you and moving in and accessing this exchange of blessing that comes. As we bless you, you bless us back. You release more blessing than ever before. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that this revelation and this faith will start to fill our hearts here. That every person, every brother and sister is not going to be left out of this revelation. That they will discover the joy of this process too. And I pray that God will bless you. And I pray that he will keep you. And he'll make his face shine upon you every day for the rest of your lives. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give a, a thanks offering to God, shall we? Hallelujah.